You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Tim Brooks. Well, Josh, uh, Paul, myself, we're looking forward to this study. Uh, We have been excited about it ever since we started talking about it, and we are looking forward to our study on Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Turn to Romans, put your ribbon there, and um, get ready. Uh, let keep your ribbon there. Come week in and week out. Bring your notebook. Uh, bring your a couple of pens with you because it's going to take a lot of ink. We're going to cover a lot of material. This is the most comprehensive study of our salvation that we have. Uh, the transfer from life under the old covenant to our life under and in the new covenant. Now, this is not an easy period of time, any shape, form, or fashion. This is a very, very difficult period of time in in people's minds right here because we are shifting from literally 3,000 years of life lived under the Abrahamic covenant. And, and that was all of the basis of man's approach to God. And it was all built on obedience to God's law. If you do this, you're blessed. If you do this, you're cursed. Pretty simple. And it just, it was just here is the way it is. You do right. You do the law or you're cursed. And boy, you just, you, you are born under the Abrahamic covenant. This is not a religion for the Moabite, Hittite, Amorite, Jezebite. This is not for them. Those are heathen people. They're heathen nation. The only way you are God's kids would be born under the seed of Abraham, under the the, uh, uh, Abrahamic covenant to be a Hebrew, as we begin to call that that, uh, group of people, which then became the Jewish group of people. But you understand, you were born into this, and then your salvation depended on keeping the law. Well, the law was perfect. The problem was it was weakened by the flesh. See, the law is perfect, but it was weakened by people's ability to keep the law. And our relationship with God was totally dependent on our ability to live perfect. You'll be surprised to find out that didn't work. We just couldn't live perfect. We couldn't do it, yet that was our relationship with God And it didn't work, we couldn't do it, so it was a constant source of frustration, of animal sacrifice, of going to the priest and him going to God for you. And it was was just a a, a difficult state for mankind to live in. And and Paul writes, Paul, and and we're going to hear, I mean, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, he was a leader in the religious sect. And he said, I I want to do right. I want to do right. And I don't. The very thing I don't want to do, I go out and do it. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I end up saying the wrong thing anyway. And we get to the end of chapter 7, and he said, who's going to free me 
from this terrible mess I'm in. And see, Paul was enunciating the feeling of every godly person. I, I want to do right, but I can't. I'm trying to do right, but I, I, I want to live right before God, but I'm, I'm not always perfect. And then when Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this situation, this state that we're in? And then when he, you got to understand, when he says, thank you, Lord, there is now no condemnation. When he says, Jesus sets me free, you've got to understand what that meant. Jesus set me free. Our salvation at that point, when Jesus bowed his head, he said, it is finished. Our salvation is no longer in us being perfect. Now our salvation is through Jesus. And this is what Romans is all about. Here's the problem. And many of you have pointed this out to me. When I start teaching, I find myself talking an entire hour on one verse. And, and, and I, I realize that probably there are only three of us in this whole room that care about all of these details. Maybe me and Linda Bates and a couple that, you know, we want to divide that word and talk about that one word for an hour and a half. And I, I get it. Not all of you are that interested in going that deep. Just look, give me the cliff notes. Tell me what this is about. So I'm promising when it comes my turn to get up here, I'm going to roll right on. I'm not going to spend 30 minutes on one word. We're going to just roll on. I'm not going to spend two nights on a half of one verse. So, contrary to what's been said about me, here we go. Romans chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, a slate. See, I can stop right there and we can talk for hours. There's a lot that was just said right there, but I'm not going to do that. Of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. The good news is about his son and his earthly life. He was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. You are included among those Gentiles who have been called belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity. God willing, I'll come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but also want to be encouraged by yours. I want to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among the other Gentiles. For I have great sense of obligation to the people, both in the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated, the uneducated alike. I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news. 
For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This accomplishes from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. All right, verse 1. Paul introduces himself and he gives his credentials and he uses the word slave and apostle. Now, at this point in history, there were six million slaves in the Roman Empire. And a slave was at this point a piece of property, not really a person. They were just a piece of property. Well, we could talk a long time about when, when Paul says, I am a slave to Jesus. Wow. Now look, look at the life, look at the mindset, look at the category he was placing himself. Well, we could talk a lot about that, especially in this day and time when we go to church when we want to and not when we don't. And, and we're a Christian sometimes, but on Friday night without our friends and we're not a Christian. And we're, yeah, but I'm a slave. I, I don't have any rights in this life. I am a slave to Jesus. Look at what he says. I'm an apostle. Now, the word apostle means one who is sent by authority with a commission. The word apostle at this time was used as for those who were representatives of either the king or the emperor. So if you were a representative of the king, if you were representative of the emperor, you were referred to as an apostle. It was a common word used in that day because an apostle, he was under the king and the king would send him. See, it's one who is sent. I'm not here on my own agenda. I didn't come here to build my own ministry. I didn't come here to do my own thing. I didn't come here to advance myself financially. I am a slave and I am sent on assignment. See, I'm an apostle. Now, boy, we could talk a lot about what he is saying to us about the, the lifestyle that we are to live in as a Christian. At this time, the apostle was a title that was given to those who had actually seen Jesus when he ascended into heaven and he commissioned them. See, so Jesus sent those apostles out. They were with Jesus. He was the king and he was commissioned by them. Okay, there was a little question about the fact Paul wasn't around when that happened. Remember, his name was Saul and he wasn't around. And so, wait a minute, how you're not a real apostle. Paul want to make it very clear. Let me just tell you. And we all read the story, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I saw, I was just walking down the Damascus Road doing my own thing. And let me just tell you something. I saw him. I saw him. He spoke to me and he commissioned me. He sent me. So there was no doubt in Paul's mind. And he's telling this to them. My credentials are, I'm a slave of Jesus and I'm apostle. I've been with him. I'm here on assignment. I'm called and I'm sent. Let's look on. This letter's from Paul. A slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets, the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, when, when Paul was, or Saul at that time, Paul, was a Jewish rabbi, he was 
separated as a Pharisee to the laws and the tradition of the Jews. But when he yielded to Christ, he didn't lose that separation. He's saying, now I am separated to the gospel and the ministry of the gospel. The word gospel is a word for good news. That's kind of interchangeable. When you read gospel or good news, it's saying the same thing. And the, the message of the good news, well, what is the good news? It is simply the message that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again, and is now able to save all those who trust him. That's the good news of the gospel message. Jesus is the center of that gospel message. And in here, he is making the distinction. He is both God and man. You remember the Christmas stories? The Holy Spirit overshadowed the virgin. We got born of a virgin, deity, God, under the family line of David. And and he wants to make sure that you understand Jesus is an heir to the throne of David as king of the Jews. So he's saying a whole lot here about the deity of Christ and the manhood. As a man, he died for our sins. It had to be a man that died for our sins. But as God, he was raised from the dead to live back in heaven throughout all eternity. It's the miraculous event of a substitutionary death and a victorious resurrection that makes up the gospel message. What is the gospel? What is the good news? Well, it's that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead. And now we're saved. See, that is the message or the good news of the gospel. 5, 6, and 7, read on with me. Paul is a missionary to the Gentiles. Now, that word missionary is a Latin word for the same word as apostle, which means one who is sent. Now, as we study Romans, you're going to note the repetition of the word called. Paul, called to be an apostle. Believers are called of Jesus Christ. We're also called saints. We'll see that word called, meaning God called you. There is a calling on your life. And I think kind of sadly, that got that phrase got relegated to only those who were called to preach. There's a calling on your life. Uh, God has called you to come to know him and to walk in a relationship with him. Well, there's a calling on my life. There's a calling on everybody's life. He's, he is calling for you. So there's not a calling on your preacher's life. Well, there's a calling on my youth pastor's life, but there's not a calling on my life. There's a calling on everybody's life. God is calling you into a relationship with him, and you are called as saints. I think we have a hard time with this because we so don't understand the meaning of salvation. If I just walk up to you and say, hey, are you a saint? What are you going to say? Well, I'm no saint. Well, I'm not a... Okay, I didn't say, are you perfect? I said, are you a saint? And your answer is, absolutely, yes, I am. Because your sainthood does not depend on you. And that's what we got to get. Your sainthood, your right standing with the Lord does not depend on you. Are you a saint? What is your answer? You bet. Yes, I am. 
What is a saint? One who has right standing with God. Now, in the old covenant, if I said, are you a saint? Well, you may want to stammer and stutter because you don't know if you've kept all of the law, if you've kept enough of the law to be called as You don't know where you stand with God. You're just doing the best you can to try to keep as many of the laws as you can. But when Jesus comes, he calls you to be a saint and his blood makes you right with God. Do you have right standing with God? I absolutely do. Are you a saint? You bet I am. Did you do everything perfect today? Uh, you got me there. But see, my doing everything perfect today does not depend on, uh, does not make whether I'm saved or not or whether I'm a saint or not. The word saint means a set apart one. That's me. That's you. That's each one of us. We've been set apart by God. Now, <clears throat> Jesus arose. The disciples tarried until the day of Pentecost, ushered in the Holy Spirit. I remember the sequence of events here. The Holy Spirit then is loosed on the earth. Jesus said, I got to go away so the Holy Spirit can come. The Holy Spirit is loosed on the earth and Peter steps out of that room and preaches a sermon and 3,000 people are saved that were there in town on that day. Okay, after they got saved, then where did they go? Well, they went back home. Well, where were a lot of these people from? Rome. So a lot of the people that were there at the day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. Many of them then traveled back to their home in Rome and that made up then the early church at Rome and Paul's writing them a letter explaining this transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. They gather together. Hey, did, did you hear Peter's message? Did you hear that message? Yeah, I heard Peter's message. Did you get saved? Yeah, I gave him a heart of Jesus. Hey, let's get together and meet. So the church was formed, and Paul is writing to that church that was formed by the believers who left on the day of Pentecost and had gotten saved there. He opens with his credentials. Slave, apostle, sent to the Gentiles, and then verse 8. Let me first say I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. Now, what is amazing is how God through loosing the Holy Spirit on this earth, then gets the gospel message to travel outside those 12 original little disciples and a few that followed with him. Okay, how did this happen? Those those believers that heard Peter's sermon, got saved, went back to Rome. Let me just, it's said, and it's still today, at that time, all roads went through Rome. Rome was the center of the whole world. So it was very calculated how divinely appointed it was for those people to be saved on the day of Pentecost, go back to Rome. That was the center of the whole world. So there is the gospel message being everybody that comes through Rome hears about Jesus. Everybody that comes through Rome and then they go and that's how the gospel spread throughout the world. And in verse 9 and 10, Paul is praying for them. He is praying for them. Verse 11 and 12, to impart a spiritual gift that will help you grow and to encourage you. Let's look at this, verse 11. 
For I long to visit you so I can bring you spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. So what do we need to do? We need to grow strong in the Lord. Just because you accepted Jesus as Lord of your life doesn't mean that's all there is to it. Okay, now there's some growing that's got to be done. Paul didn't say, oh, y'all got it all. Happy for you. No, he said, man, I want you to grow. See, we're growing in the Lord. That's what we're coming in here right now to do, to grow in the Lord, grow in the Lord, grow in the Lord. I want to see you. I'm encouraged. I want to encourage you. I want to see you grow in the Lord. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to visit you, but I was prevented till now. I want to work among you and see the spiritual fruit, just as I've seen among the Gentiles. For I have great sense of obligation to the people, both in the civilized world and the rest of the world, the educated and uneducated alike, I'm eager to come to you to Rome to preach the good news. Now, my goodness, there's just a whole lot being said here, and I just got to quickly touch on some of this. A great sense of obligation. Paul lives with a sense of obligation. Wow, what a message for us today. We don't have obligation to anything. Just call in sick. You don't care if somebody has to. I mean, what are they going to do if I'm not there? We just call, I'm not coming in today. Well, I don't believe I'm going to work today. Well, I'm taking off tomorrow. Well, I, wait a minute. They hired you because they needed you and they wanted you to do a job. Do you not have any obligation to life? We're in a society today that doesn't have any obligation to family, life, kids. Just no. Uh, and Paul says, I live with a sense of obligation. You're really growing and maturing in the Lord when you begin to sense an obligation. Whether I'm preaching or not, I'm obligated to be here. Why people need to see me here? We need to see you here. See how people will be looking for me. You, you, you have a sense of obligation. Do, do you have a sense of obligation? Some of you that are just... Good working with children, and that's a gifting that you have. Do you have a sense of obligation to volunteer to our new nursery program, our new children's program, what we're going to do? You're gifted at that. That's what you're good at. Do you have any? Oh, just come in and come out whenever you want to. Do you have a sense of obligation to what's going on in here for our children, for our youth? Do you have a sense of obligation to your connect group? I don't think I'm going to go tonight. I'm kind of tired. Do you have a sense of obligation to your connect group? Do, do you have a sense of obligation? I mean, we've we got to open it up this coffee shop. We've got to have people that are obligated to that, an obligation. Do we feel a sense of obligation to get our money here? I tell you, I've never been so blessed when all of this time and our church was shut down. There was just a line of cars, people bringing money by the church here. They, a sense of obligation. The work of God's got to go on. Whether I'm there or not doesn't make any difference. People bringing money, mailing in money. Sean's saying, you can't believe how much money we got in the mail today. See, there are folks that have a sense of obligation to what is going on here. And it's just, it's amazing what we're seeing happen when you get a group of people that live with a sense of obligation. What are you obligated to? Seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, verse 16 and and 17, for I am not ashamed. Now, wait a minute, hold on. Why would Paul even be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? Why would Paul even think he had to say this? Why would Paul want to say, I'm not ashamed? Okay, at this point, the gospel was identified 
by a poor Jewish carpenter who got himself crucified. Now that was the perception here. Why would I want to put my faith in a Jew who was crucified? Paul is not ashamed because he is so confident in his message. Okay, how is he so confident in his message? It is the power of God at work. It is the power of God at work. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Why am I not ashamed? Because I've experienced the life-changing power of God in my life. I have experienced that transition that where I once was walking this way and now I'm walking that way, I know what the power of God is all about. I've been in and out of rehabs. I've been in and out of drug halls. I've been in and out of jail. I've been, but Tim, I was in. But I'm telling you, Tim, I experienced the power of God in my life. Says Paul, man, you're talking about baddest of bad. I mean, he was overseeing Christians being stoned to death. And he said, I'm not ashamed because I know what the power of God is all about in this message. Now, this was particularly impacting when it was said in Rome because power was the one thing that Rome boasted most about. Greece had its philosophy, but Rome had its power. And when Paul stepped up and said, this is real power, I'm just telling you, this is real power here. Paul is talking about the power of God to change a person's life. And how did he know this? How was he so confident? Because it had so radically changed his life. The power of God unto salvation. Salvation. Salvation from what? The penalty of sin. Okay. Here is the bomb of all bombs. Here is the bomb of all bombs from the beginning of time to the end of times. And Paul drops the big bomb right here to everyone. Whoa. I've been with you up until this point. Hold on. I've read the Old Testament. I've studied under the rabbis. I know we're not supposed to have anything to do with the Moabites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Jezebites. I'm telling you, God said, wipe the Canaanites out. I'm telling you, Ezra got really upset when they started marrying the Moabites and bringing those women in. See, there was a separation of God's people. You weren't to be around those people. God was only a God of the Hebrew race, of those that were descendants, direct descendants of Abraham. God was only a God of the Jewish people. These other folks didn't have a chance at this. You had to have the right parentage. You had to be born a Hebrew before you even had a shot at this. To who? Everyone? You you mean everyone that's a Hebrew? No. Let Let me make this clear. Everyone who believes. Look here in this verse. Everyone who believes, the Jew first, but also, also the Gentile. That might be the best verse in the whole Bible for you. It is for me. 
I don't know. I don't know if it, maybe there are some Jewish folks here that don't really need this. You were born into it. You're good to go. But for the rest of us, this is good news. I don't know where all I came from, but there might have been a Moabite back there. There might have been a Canaanite back in my background. Abraham wasn't in my background. Father Abraham, well, he wasn't my father. I was adopted. See, I've been adopted into God's family. Scholars call this the universality of the gospel. The gospel is a universal message. And up until this point in history, God had only dealt with his people, the Hebrews. And when he sent Jesus, he came into all of the world. And faith in Jesus saves, not parentage. It's not who your parents are. And many today don't get this. I talk to people often. And I say, what church do you go to? Well, Tim, my mom. And they start telling me what church your mom goes to. What church do you go to? I'm going to tell you. My great-grandfather, he's a Pentecostal, started one of the churches in Missouri. My grandfather did. What church do you go to? See, we still want to act like we're born into this thing. And because I had a great-grandfather that was a preacher, somehow I'm, I'm, a, I'm good to go into this. And, and we're no longer under the old covenant. You're, you're no longer born into this. It is you and you're alone. It's your choice. Regardless of how you were raised, regardless of whether you had good parents or bad parents, or whether you have a difficult past and no matter whether you were wanted or not I don't know about any of your situation but here's what I do know it's up to you it's up to you and you alone you choose Jesus it's to everyone who believes not to everyone whose mama believes not to everyone who had a praying grandma my grandmother prayed for me I appreciate that but what choice have you made well everyone see what choice have you made verse 17 Key verse in this letter is verse 17. Righteousness or makes us right in his sight. That's what the word righteousness means. And we're going to read makes us right in his sight or righteousness. We're going to read that 60 times in this letter. That's what it's all about. This is the key verse. Righteousness means, are you righteous? That doesn't mean you're perfect. It means I have right standing with God. And if anyone asks you, are you righteous, your answer is absolutely I am. Because not what you did or hadn't done, it's the blood of Jesus that makes you right standing before God. In the Old Testament, righteousness, being right in his sight, was based on our works. In the New Testament, under the New Covenant, righteous, being right in his sight, is based on our faith. The just shall live by faith. And Jesus said, I'm not doing away with the law. I'm fulfilling the requirements of the law. I'm fulfilling those requirements. The just shall live by faith. Now, the gospel requires a response. And there's only one of two choices. Verse 16, you believe. Or verse 18, you reject. You either believe it or you don't. It's not, well, I, well, I mean, you're either, 
you either believe it or you don't. You're either in or you're out. There is no fence riding with the blood of Jesus. You either have accepted it and been washed clean or you haven't. So you believe or you reject. And your response to that determines your destiny for all eternity. This letter to the church at Rome, Romans, it's vital to us. In this study that Paul and Josh and I are going to be doing, this is vital to us to get out. Yeah, well, Tim, I know. I understand salvation. Let me, let me tell you. you. You have to come to where you know that you know that you know it. Because we no longer have to go to a priest, a go-between. You can go to God yourself. You can walk boldly into his presence because of what Jesus did. That'll change your life whenever you get a hold of that. That'll change the way you think. That low self-esteem and that inferior and those insecure thoughts and I just feel so insecurity. You, you got to get a hold of salvation. You got to get a hold of salvation. See, you, you, well, I hope I'm good. Well, Tim, I'm trying, but no, I'm not perfect. You got to know that you're a saint. When you know that you have right standing with God, when you know that you have been made right with God through the blood of Jesus, it changes the way you hold your head. It'll change the way you dress. It'll change the way you walk. It'll change the way you get out of bed in the morning. Boy, this study of Romans is going to build a lot of confidence in us because you're going to find out God saved you. And he called you. He called you. An understanding of Romans opens up a whole new life for you. It was years and years ago. I was talking to a man who was devout atheist. Oh, he just argued and argued and argued with me and fought with me and laughed at me and made fun of me all the time. He really anti-God. And one day he said, Tim, I got to ask you something. What are you going to do if you have lived your whole life like you're living, and you die, and you find out there is no heaven or hell. Well, I didn't have time to go into a 10-hour apologetic lesson at that time, nor did I even have any desire to. What are you going to do when you die and you find out that there is no heaven or no hell, and all of this is a fairy tale? I just looked at him, and I said, what if you live your whole life like you're living and you die and you find out there is? Where does that leave you and where does that leave me? Y'all stand. Lord, it's with excitement we open your word. It's with excitement in our heart, a gratitude that while we were yet sinners, that you just died for us. That we couldn't do anything to deserve this, that you just washed our sins clean and gave us a brand, brand new start. That I've been forgiven of all that I did. I've been forgiven of all that I shouldn't have done that I did. But Lord, I've been forgiven of all the things that I should have done and I didn't. Lord, I've been forgiven. I've been set free. Lord, I don't walk in and wallow in insecurities. I don't wallow in inadequacies. Lord, and it's all glory and honor and thanks to you. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Holy Spirit, we loose you here on these coming weeks and months as we dive into your plan of salvation for us. 
We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com. 